When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's good to be back with you, Michael. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, good to hear yours. We've done a lot of good shows over the years. I hope this one is going to be just as entertaining and interesting and informative as we always do. As always, it's going to be entertaining and informative, and I was going to call you Mr. Marshall Masters. I'm not sure why. I stopped myself. You do that. Well, that's okay. You know, I always tease people when they do that, and I just say, you can call me anything you want, just don't call collect, and they go, why? <laughs> it means collect, you're in lockup. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, I've known you long enough, I could just call you Marshall. Yeah. But I do like calling you Mr. Masters as well. It, it just sounds sounds a very uh, professional, I guess you can say. Yeah, I'm good. 
But yes, you don't mind. And of course, Marshall, we've been doing shows for such a long time, most of them covering Planet X and all kinds of various topics throughout the years since we've been doing these shows together. Yeah, yeah, we really have. That's insane. And, uh, we've been doing it for years, Marshall. Yeah, and our shows are always excellent. My audience always loves our shows. Uh, as do mine. They are always wanting to hear more from you, so that's what we're doing here tonight. Um, a lot of people wanting to know what's going on with uh, Mr. Marshall Masters and what your thoughts and opinions are from all these current events unfolding around the world. We have, uh, it almost seems like we're kind of on the brink of Armageddon here, where nuclear weapons are something that's being talked about no longer something that was you know sort of flirted with in in the ether now it's actually coming to fruition now the mainstream is sort of pushing that narrative it almost seems like we are wanting a war well i agree with you <laughs> to be honest with you i really feel like we are and I, i'm not saying we i to me this is the cabal yes the cabal and yeah oh my god i couldn't believe it mcdonald's now has McDonald's, pulled yeah. out of russia all of those uh stores that they had and mcdonald's was in russia when it was still the soviet union okay They've been with them forever. And when I was doing business in Russia, right. in the tour business in the 90s, you know, I would go over and I would take out my um, field operators. We were doing travel business planning. And so I had my operators on the ground take care of my customers. And I would always say, oh, let's go have a nice lunch. Now, for me, a nice lunch was this wonderful Georgian restaurant in the Stary Arbat in Moscow. And I didn't care what it cost. Right. They always wanted the McDonald's. They want over a nice lunch. They you can have McDonald's anywhere in the world, but they want McDonald's in Russia. They wanted the McDonald's. Oh my god! I'd, I would tell them I flew halfway around the world for junk food. Give me a break. Yeah, here, come know? on. But I, yeah, I would just okay. You want McDonald's? Go to McDonald's. So I would take them to McDonald's. But here's something interesting. At that McDonald's in Moscow, because that was the one I was always going to, the one that was the very first one back during the Soviet Union. They were always using potatoes, meat, bread that were sourced from Russia. They weren't importing that. And I will tell you, McDonald's in Russia tasted better than McDonald's here. Really? Yeah, because of the, the food quality was better. And the potatoes, the French fries were exquisite. I mean, really, French fries at McDonald's generally good, but I wow, see. in Moscow, they were exquisite. It's probably it was those Russian potatoes. I wonder if it has anything to do with just American culture today. I mean, those that show up at McDonald's to work, you know, they don't really care too often about their job. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that would probably lead them to perform their job very poorly. Maybe those in Russia, maybe they cared a bit more. Who knows? Well, they did a really good job. The Russians liked it. They would stand in line for that stuff. There was nothing fast about it. I couldn't tell you that. Um, but they're pulling out. I mean, I see, you know, what they're doing now. And this really... This kind of reminds me of the early days before World War II broke out. Because why did the Japanese attack us at Pearl Harbor? Because 
we cut them off on fuel, scrap steel, and everything else. And they they attacked us because they were down to like six months of oil in their reserves after we shut them off. And that's what triggered World War II, getting us in on the Pacific side. Well, doing the same thing. Biden, all he's doing is he is pushing these people, and they're trying to crush them, okay? Yeah. This is going to blow back. I mean, come on. Michael, the largest producer of fertilizer in the world is Russia. And it's springtime. Guess what we need? What we need is fertilizer. We, we don't need, need fertilizer. Argo. And this insanity just keeps going on and on. It's this insane brinksmanship. And I agree with you. I'm totally on board with you that we're the ones trying to provoke something. It almost seems that way if you listen to what's going on in the media. And, of course, for those that don't know, you know, President Vladimir Putin's decision to sort of invade Ukraine is having these drastic consequences politically and socially for Mm -hmm. our friends in Russia. Lots of innocent people out there that want nothing to do uh, with any war, you know, and they are having to pay the price for uh, their leader. They're banned from virtually everything. They are. And, you know, it's uh, the Ukrainian people. I mean, it's like, I feel sorry for them. Yeah. But, you know, we have to. There's two things with uh, Putin. One, he's going after the weapons research bio labs and he's going after the neo-Nazis. Now, our government has acknowledged that we have weapon bio labs. That's true. Because they said they don't want this information to fall into their hands. This was after all of the lying to us about denial and it yeah. didn't happen. Now we're finding out there's all, you know, in some accounts, there's over 50 of these bio labs around the world developing these deadly, deadly plagues. And, uh, you know, Trump just said, hey, watch what's happening with Taiwan. That's going to be the next one. Well, guess what? We've got biolabs in Taiwan as well. Yeah, we have biolabs bio all over the place. The question is, what exactly is going on in said biolabs? And, of course, looking back at COVID, well, that's another can of worms, right? It's a whole can of worms, and this can of worms is going is getting opened, and it's the blowback is there. Um, I, it is... It's just purely insane. We are, I could see the West is losing the narrative here. I mean, because Putin is well within his rights. I mean, my God, these are, people have to understand this bio-research. They're talking, they're not talking about COVID. They are talking about plagues that take half of the people who contract them and kill them and die badly. Uh, and what they can do is fine-tune this. So they can say, let's go after Caucasians, let's go after Nordics, let's go after Blacks, let's go after Latinos, yeah. let's go after Slavs, and because there are genetic differences. And so it's those they find those little minor genetic differences, and that's how they target. And so if you know you have biological weapons being designed literally within miles of your border that are custom tailored to your genome, 
would we tolerate that here in America if we found out that there were Russian biolabs in Mexico and Canada? No, we'd go insane. Absolutely. And you know something? I'm old enough to remember the... I'm not home, by the way. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, let me just turn this phone off. No worries. It's all good. And, uh, but I am old enough to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. Now, I'm going to use an awkward word because I think it's the only one that expresses it. But I can tell you that the whole United States during the Russian Missile Crisis was scared shitless. Oh, I bet. And the Russian people were scared shitless, too. And what started the Russian missile crisis was we provoked it. We put medium-range nuclear ballistic missiles into Turkey, right? You know, so Russia's sitting there, and it's got nuclear missiles that could just literally launch. And before they even know what to do about it, they're already detonating because it's such short range. And that was the reason why they put medium-range missiles into Cuba. So when they resolved the missile crisis, they just quietly made an agreement. We agreed to remove our missiles, and they agreed to remove theirs. And that's how the Cuban Missile Crisis was resolved. At least we had people who could walk and chew gum and think rationally and brought us back from the brink of war. But, you know, what do we got? I mean, Biden? Our it's great like, president, yes, Joseph Biden. I mean, it's like this guy, this guy, when it comes to foreign policy, he's never been right about anything. And his brain is toasted. This is really scary right now. And, you know, I think we could very well have a situation where we come right up to the edge of another major nuclear crisis. It seems like it. And then when that happens, we will all be shitless again. And when that happens, you know, imagine that the fastest way for us to get out of the predicament is for the rhinos in the swing states who helped the Dems steal the election go, you know, let's recall the electors. This guy, this is the fastest way to get rid of this guy. And that's what happens. So we see one state recalls their electors, and then it'll go down like a chain of dominoes. All right. And I can see that. We're going to destabilize. We're trying to destabilize Russia. No way. Putin is, I did business in Russia for many years, all right? I had a travel business. I was there a dozen times. I always would fly over in December, come back in January as a rule, because that's when I did my work to go out and prepare for my travel clients. And this situation in Ukraine for Putin is bet the farm. He is not going to be intimidated. He's anticipated what's going to happen. And for the Ukrainians, uh, Oliver Stone has a brilliant documentary on Ukraine, put it out in 2014. It was banned by YouTube. You got to find it elsewhere. 
Uh, but if you watch that, it takes you through the history of all of this stuff. And a lot of folks don't realize that during World War II, that's when the neo-Nazi movement really took over in Ukraine because a lot of the Ukrainians enlisted in the SS as concentration camp guards. And they really enjoyed being cruel to the people. They were monsters. So this neo-Nazi thing, this is just not one of these hollow, you know, accusations we see in cancel culture. There is substantial history. That's the reason why Stone's film, uh, you know, has been banned and suppressed. And if you watch it, it is superb. I cannot begin to recommend it enough. And it'll give you an idea of what's going on. There's a lot. But, you know, the other thing is what happens when all of a sudden we find out uh, in Taiwan, because everyone's waiting for China to go invade Taiwan, and all of a sudden... Taiwan is saying, yeah, we're developing these, uh, you know, these deadly uh, viruses. So does that give China, the CCP, cause to invade Taiwan to take those out? And maybe they don't invade directly. Maybe they do surgical strikes. All right. The thing is that we are we shouldn't be in this situation with the russians all right we have with it's interesting during world war 2 we were allies with the chinese and we were allies with the russians and everybody pulled their fair share um and the fact of it is if the russians hadn't sacrificed a lot of blood and treasure at the Battle of Kursk, frankly, I don't think we'd have made it off the beaches in France. And Marshall, going back to the whole claim of Nazis in the Ukraine, I mean, we've all seen the photographs and we all know about the Azov uh, Battalion. I don't know if I said that correctly, but th those are Nazis, by the way. They have their uh, symbols, uh, you know, quite up front. Absolutely. And when you see Stone's documentary, boy, he gives you he gives you the nitty gritty. Yes, but our our country has a a very deep history with Nazis anyway, so I mean I'm not really surprised to tell you the truth that we would be backing these people. I mean, how do you think we uh how do you think we defeated Russia going to the moon? Mm hmm Well, we didn't really defeat them, but you know what I'm saying. Our Nazis were better than their Nazis, right? Correct. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, the guy that took us to the moon is the same guy that was dropping missiles on London. That's right. And that's the odd thing about, you know, life in general. But I think, first off, the people of the world, we don't like war. No. We have to be tricked into it. We have to be bullied into it. All right. Um, I don't think since World War II there's been a legitimate war, except just a few that we've been involved in mostly. We just 
after since you know since World War II, we basically get an ass whooping and spend a lot of money for it. And Marshall, this right now is uh, yes. we're we're pushing it. We're pushing. If this goes nuclear, I think it's going to be on us. Yeah, and Marshall, just to add on to this conversation, you know, I'm not actually cheering for Russia or the Ukraine. I kind of don't want this to be going on at all. But I mean, I'm not the one in charge of these sort of things. Yeah, and I'm thinking, what's what business is it to us? Yeah, that's another Congress, thing. Yeah, Congress just had a middle of the night. They passed legislation in the middle of the night so they could send billions of dollars to the Ukraine. Billions, yes. I saw that. Yeah. And I thought we were in debt. We're in debt up to our cajoodles. But we have trillions of dollars to send in foreign aid to the Ukraine. That's right. And if we want to send them billions and billions of dollars to defend their border, and ours are wide open. Yeah, that make that makes no sense at all, by the way. So, And even a couple of years ago, our media was basically saying how corrupt the Ukraine was, and now we are at their feet. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? I, you know, blows there's my mind. a lot of insanity here, but I think this is a lot of manipulation. This is banker-driven. Now, when we get into wars, it's bankers pushing us in the media. Bankers in the media love wars. And I don't think our media has been honest with us about war uh, since World War II. And we're going in a we're going in the wrong direction. A lot of folks are sensing it. This is a time of peril, and we are the ones making that peril. Right. Well, once, I see it on us. I, I you yeah. know, I mean, Putin to me is no saint. I'm not saying you sure. Know, He's yeah, you know, he's he's the good guy. All right, but strategically, I'm looking at this and this again. I lived through the missile crisis. Yeah, you've been you through know, this before. Crisis. I was young. Yeah. I was very young then, but I could remember all the adults around me uh, just going absolutely berserk. Yeah. I, I mean, bet. they hit the gun shops and the pawn shops, and there wasn't a pistol, rifle, or shotgun left. My God. Yeah, that must have been a truly frightening time for you being a child and seeing how all the adults, seeing all the bigger people in the room reacting this way. I'm sure it had an effect on you. Absolutely. Lord. You forget that. And so, yeah. and I'm really seeing we're going back to this and we are going to be at the brink again. You know, the problem was the last time we were at the brink, at least we had intelligent people who loved their children. We have people that are leading right now that love their children but don't love ours. That's right. And then you have yeah. some people out there that love children in general and not in the good way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, lots, yeah. of, lots of human trafficking, sex trafficking in both Russia and the Ukraine, by the way. So it's kind of hard to sort of uh, pick sides when you both know, when you, when you know both sides are, you know, they're pretty much evil and corrupt just like we are here in America. They are, but you know, I am starting to see, when I look at a broad picture, I'm seeing really positive things happening. Oh, I'm hoping, yeah. I mean, the globalists are on back foot because they tried desperately to start war 
uh, with Ukraine and uh, Russia. They get us embroiled in that That's by right. getting the Poles to send their MiG-29s directly to the Ukraine. And the Poles said, hey, <laughs> no, we're not going to start World War III. You want the MiGs? Fine. We'll give them to the Americans. And then you can do whatever you want with them as long as you replace them with an M-16. And our government went, well, no, because we want you to do the dirty work for us in starting the war. That's what we do. That's what we do. And the polls don't want to do it. So there's definitely uh, the push to do it. You know, for those people that follow guys like Cash Patel and uh, others that are talking about devolution, and it's always been, well, is it just an interesting hypothesis or devolution real? Well, my question is, is if devolution is not real, we know that the one thing liberals want to do more than anything else is shut down Gitmo. They haven't been able to shut down Gitmo. They tried to start this war with the Poles. It didn't work. And what was easy for them to do before is not. And so the manipulations, who knows? You know, this could yes. be devolution. It could be any number of things. But I think for all of us, what we have to do is look at and say, it's freedom. There's a global move for freedom. And people are understanding that there are a small number of folks in the world want to control everyone and they want to depopulate the world. So they have fewer people to enslave, which is easier for them to control. And what we're going to be seeing in the coming years is what we're already seeing now. Insurance companies are talking about 300% increase in death claims for life insurance. The military is reporting with a young population a 300% increase in cancers. Oh, great. Okay. More things to worry about, yeah. More things. And now <laughs> yes. we're seeing that just here in this little town that we have here, the, we've got one mortician serving this little town. And normally he's, you know, had all kinds of free times on his hands. Right now, he's so overwhelmed, their bodies they haven't been able to even pick up yet, and they're starting to smell. Ooh, that's not good. Because, yeah, it's not good, but he's overwhelmed. People are dropping left and right. And so, this is happening. We have a lot of this going on. But looking realistically long term, because for me... It comes down to the Planet X flyby, what you and I have been talking about for years. For years, yes. And when this happens, oh, baby, okay, if you ain't ready, you're toast. And the population reduction is already taking place. So you have guys like Zelensky, all right, or Zelenko, uh, and he is, uh, this Dr. Zelenko, he's talking about in the next few years, half of the people who have been vaxxed are going to die from vaccine injuries. And I personally know one person who died from COVID, and that was because of the, uh, the Fauci protocol, as far as I'm concerned. But the other two died from the vaccine. One, the day she got it. 
20 minutes after getting the jab, she killed over dead. Wow, so she and had some fatal she had uh, some fatal adverse effects, obviously. A fatal adverse effect. And probably what happened was they injected directly into a vein instead of a muscle. And uh, that would be, you know, that's a body slam. But the other one was, you know, a lot of the more typical stuff, which was the myocarditis and uh, the blood clots. And we're already seeing it. You know, we're not talking, we're not having a, I can remember uh, six months to a year ago, we were talking almost in a, a theoretical sense or, you know, this is what's coming, this is what's coming, and now it's come. And now it's here, yes. We did talk yes. about, like, the possibility of an EMP or, like, a nuclear uh, bomb going off or something of that nature. We, we have talked about these things in the past, but here we are a step closer to all these things coming to fruition, Marshall. It's kind of insane. It's insane, but my belief has always been that what the elites have is force. They can force their will on people. True power comes from God, and it comes from the bottom up. And what we're seeing are these, this is a grassroots freedom movement, the Great Awakening. It's growing and growing and growing. And, you know, just look at, for example, let's talk about YouTube as an example. When I started doing YouTube, it was, you know, uh, a public forum. It was a, the Wild West at one time. It was, yeah, and it was, I'll tell you. It uh, was fun. I loved it. I loved, Me too. you know, in the first few years. But now it went from being a public square to a public landfill. Yeah. Because yes. in a landfill, you can still find you know, goodies, but you got to go through a lot of garbage to find them. And that's what's happened to YouTube because they've chased off so many talented people, folks like yourself and myself, who put tremendous amount of efforts into developing a platform, an audience, content, the whole thing that we do. It's a full-time business. And Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who really were putting polished and doing good work have been punished. Yeah, they're gone. They're gone. But, you know, I think they thought, well, once we scare them off, we'll never hear from them again. No, they just moved somewhere else where they can do what they like to do. Right. And so what are we seeing? We're seeing platforms like Rumble, Getter, BitChute. Uh, Telegram, they're growing like weeds. Yeah, they're growing. However, I'm waiting for someone to really step up their game. So we have a rival to YouTube, but nothing, nothing close just yet in terms of popularity. I mean, YouTube is is the biggest mall on the planet. I guess you can say it is. But for how long, though? You know, how long? Yeah. I mean, I was for years. I was on YouTube Premium. I dropped it. Actually, I don't even go to YouTube anymore. Oh, wow. Uh, there's so much phenomenal content, quality, professional content. I'm talking about people who have real journalistic standards, and they have integrity, and they want to help their audience, and they do good work. Journalism is, yeah. also, is also a very dirty word nowadays. Pardon? I said the word journalism is, is a very dirty word nowadays in terms of actual, you know, if you see, uh, if you read uh, these articles from so-called journalists these days, you know, that's, 
it's kind of laughable that they call themselves journalists, <laughs> to be honest. They're not the journalists uh, of yesterday, that that's for sure. With. I was I worked with two major networks back in the 80s. Uh, at that time, Texas Cable Network and Cable News Network. The With Cable News Network, I did science features. I was a field producer. And I did uh, a show for a, an audience of 4 million people on computer technology for Texas Cable Network. Those were the days when there was real competition in the media. CNN had to compete with 50 other news sources. This was a time when you had radio stations and TV stations in major markets like New York and Chicago were actually sending reporters. They had their own people internationally reporting for them. There was a tremendous amount of competition, and it was about getting the story and getting it right. Now, all of this has been squeezed out because this is the Bush family. They were the ones that really engineered this. We had all of these anti-concentration laws in the FCC, and they got them reversed. And that's the reason why you could drive across the country and hear Rush Lomb Lomb you know, Limbaugh just... <laughs> go from station to station to station, and there's Rush, there's Rush, there's Rush, there's Rush. That's, you know, what they were wanting to do. But to do that, they remove anti-consolidation, which is why now you got a handful of corporations that control all of the information. That's right. And they have been captured, and they're woke. Yes, yeah, sadly, those in the power, in those um, high-level positions, those that are in control, those that are behind the focus groups that control what you and I watch and hear on television, um, those are the ones that are quote-unquote woke, and you definitely see their work all over the place. We are kind of bombarded by this sort of agenda that's clearly going on that people like to sort of um, turn a blind eye to, but yes, it is kind of uh, hard to watch anything nowadays without seeing uh, that sort of archetype's work play out in front of us, uh, Mr. Marshall Masters. Well, I think things are going to change. I things hope to God change. they do. <laughs> well, no, I'm past hope. I'm seeing it. You're See, I was it. in the computer business for 25 years. In the 90s, I was in Silicon Valley. I was working on the very technologies that make the internet what it is today. My clients were AT&T, Hewlett-Packard, okay, uh, Lockheed Martin, Sun Microsystems. You could go on. All the big guys. And, but I did a lot of work with Hewlett Packard on internet stuff, which was the core foundation of what we have today. So even back then, we were talking about the very things today. This is what we were concerned about. And we were talking about it because initially we knew the internet was going to be a you know big, wide, wonderful world of people coming out and sharing thoughts and ideas, public forum. And then what happened? The internet went from that to becoming an online mall, and now it's just a, a propaganda sewer. Right. But uh -huh. people are pushing around. I think when Truth Social comes out, this is going to change it big time. Truth Social is going to change it for big time. I have an article on my website, and it's called Truth Social Under the Hood. And I'm looking at what Trump is really going after because from what I see, what they're showing on their sites is 
Truth Social, which is a Twitter killer, is based on an open source platform called Mastodon, which is actually superior to Twitter. People think, you know, Twitter is, oh my God, takes years to develop something like that. No way. I get a, you know, get a 14-year-old who's an ultra uber geek, give him an unlimited supply of Red Bull and pizza, and in 12 hours, you got a Twitter. So why is it so big? Why do they need all of these uh, people, these campuses, all of this stuff? Because they're not truth platforms. They're not free speech platforms. They're behavior control platforms. And so as a professional, I understand people are understanding Twitter from the what's in the business is called the front-facing mm. side of Twitter. I see. That's what you're working with. What people don't realize is the back end of Twitter, which you don't see, is 90% of what they're doing. That's the behavior control aspect. That's These right. behavior control platforms want to, first off, make you captive. All right? And people will say, oh, well, it's just a limitation of the technology. Nonsense. You and I and everybody in this call, we send text messages and emails every day. It doesn't matter what computer, what program, how you do your mail, whether I'm sending it to Yahoo Mail, Gmail, or whatever, Thunderbird, or whatever you're using. It all works. We can. It's interoperable. All right? The social media platforms are behavior control platforms. We've got to stop thinking of them in terms of uh, applications. Because when we're doing that, all we're seeing is the front-facing side of those platforms, which is about 10%. But if we look at them as a control behavior platform, now we understand the 90% that's behind the front-facing. Yes, And that's where they're, they want to track us. They want to keep us captives. They want to make sure uh, we're buying whatever we want them, you know, we're buying what they're recommending. Everything serves them. You can't even, with Google search, you can't even get honest search results anymore because Google is profiling everything and behavior control is throwing it out. Now, here is a real advantage for Trump Truth Social versus big tech. Trump is moving to the open source platforms. Open source, you don't have behavior control, embedded advertising, and surveilling. All right, geeks don't like that. They don't build it into the software and the code. Uh, you know, if you go to Twitter and say, show us your programming code, they're going to go, what planet do you come from? But if you're on Mastodon, you can download the code and see exactly how it works. So, and it creates a whole new environment. And that's what I see Trump doing is he's creating a branding platform. And here's the thing. What I say in the article is that the real battle is not the front-facing side of it. The real battle is what's behind it. Because here's the advantage. If you're going open source and you're not doing all the behavior control, you only need a fraction of the amount of power, computer, and people to service that system. You're not top-heavy. Big tech 
is horrendously top-heavy. Top-heavy. They start losing a major portion of their audience. They got a white elephant problem that's going to eat them alive. And so, and the point is, proprietary just doesn't do well against open source. Ask Microsoft. Linux operating system. You know, people don't, wow, what's Linux? Kind of weird thing. Yeah, I don't get that. that. I never yeah. use it. People say, <laughs> I don't use, you don't use Linux? Every time you're on Amazon, Google, matter of fact, about 99% of anything on the internet is running on Linux servers. That's you got true. a TiVo at home? Guess what? You're a Linux user. It runs Linux. Okay. Linux is the most widely distributed operating system on the planet. It controls more of the information and it is open source. Microsoft tried to defeat it early on with their own internet server technology. And I remember those days you used to go to hosting companies, they'd say, well, we got Linux and we can serve you on Linux or we can serve you on Microsoft. And then you started seeing them dropping the Microsoft options. Now, Boy, you got to scrounge around to find a hosting company that wants to give you Microsoft hosting. Nobody wants it because it's bloat code and it's nowhere near as stable and reliable as Linux. Yeah, every sort of thing you have nowadays is ran by Linux behind the scenes. That's right. And so there's what Trump is doing is he's going, I see him going at the internet service provider levels. The ISPs. Now, there's three kind of ISPs. There's level one. These are the big boys. Okay, they're the carriers. The ATT, Verizon, those guys. The heavy hitters, yeah. All right, the heavy hitters, and they really control what's going on. But then there's tier two. Now, I call them the consolidators. They don't actually own the physical hardware like the level one does. Owns the hardware. But they have a huge amount of traffic, and they can do business on favorable terms. So this is you have your Microsoft, your Amazon, your Google. Google is the largest tier two uh, ISP in the world, period. Okay. So this is how they've been taking out. Like, remember, Parler came out, and Amazon, which is a tier two, crushed Parler. And now Parler is just, I don't know, it's out there. Nobody's interested in it anymore because they knuckled under. Then you have Tier 3. Tier 3 is what's called the last mile. Tier 3 is your little hosting company you get your cable service with in your house. Now, if you're trying to run a social media platform like Telegram or something like that on a Tier 3 service, good luck with that. It's going to be bloody expensive, and you're going to be subject to a high degree of unreliable uh, situations. So that's the reason why you have these guys who will go to a tier two, a consolidator. I call it the consolidator. And they're handling it. So that's really where the block is. Trump, from what I see, is wanting to build eventually a tier two ISP approach with his media group so that there they have we have the volume that we can get out there and get the discounts but we don't have woke service companies like Amazon and Microsoft that are you know going out and using their position to throttle smaller companies <laughs> so <clears throat> there's a lot going on i personally think 
Trump has his eyes on AT&T. And imagine AT&T is uh, their problem right now as a company. They have, and it's even more. They just went out. I couldn't believe it. Now, One American News is a cash cow for them, and they went woke, and they they give OAN the boot. Well, that's where the money is. Yes. You know, they yeah. have to sort of bend bend the knee, in other words, to these major conglomerates and, you know, AT&T, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, they're, they're getting their ass kicked by Verizon, though. But they're, they they're trying are, hard, though. And, they're trying. And they have two, you know, what they have is their wireless business is growing, but the wireless business growth, which is substantial, is not substantial enough to overcome the losses they're taking on their wired services. All right. And... I mean, how many people are getting a hard line in the house anymore? Probably not many, yeah. Not many. And then the other thing is AT&T has all of these retirement funds hanging over them like the sword of Damocles. Right. So AT&T, I could see someone like Trump thinking, yeah, I can think big enough to take on AT&T. Uh, but on the other hand, Trump could go make a lateral move and instead of taking AT&T, partner up uh, with Starlink. And Starlink is definitely going to be an AT&T. Yeah, it's going to put a, lot, a world of hurt on a lot of communication uh, controls. But the question is, is will Starlink, are we going to see the same kind of manipulations that we're seeing with AT&T, all right, and uh, where they're banning information? But still the same, I definitely think we're moving to, on the conservative side, where Trump media is going to become essentially a tier two provider of services for a number of different brands. And then you're going to have all of these conservative platforms that all they have to do is just change their hosting partners. So you copy your websites over to the new servers, and then when everything's ready to go, you turn a switch, and that's it. It's seamless. Nothing changes. Nobody knows the difference. But you no longer are, if you're in a situation where you have a true speed, free speech level two ISP you're working through, you know, you're not looking over your shoulder all the time to see what the cabal's going to do to you. So things are moving and they're moving in the right direction and people are moving with it. And that's the reason why I see it's going because everything always comes down to bucks. No bucks, no Buck Rogers. And I see some potentially very strong things. I, I could see where we're going to remap the Internet. And it's going to, we're going to go back to that free speech and where people can put information out. And they're no longer controlling the bullhorn. And when that happens, Wow. Now, there's so much stuff that's being suppressed and withheld from us and on a platform like Truth Social. But also keep in mind, Truth Social is open source. Open source software is good software. People knock it. Uh-uh. 
it's good software. I all agree, right. Yes. It may not be as polished as some of the proprietary designs, but it's good, solid, basic stuff. It's stable and takes care of people and doesn't invade their privacy. That's important. So I can see, I for one, you know, if Trump comes out and says, hey, we now do internet hosting, <laughs> will I move my sites? Oh, you bet. I'll call my hosting company and I'll say, are you guys going to source, are you guys going to go through Trump uh, media? And if they go, well, no, we're going through Amazon or something like that, I'll say, oh, okay, well, thank you so much. And then when it comes time to renew the sites, I don't renew because I'm moved. And no one's going to know it because it's seamless the way you can do it. And this is what's going to happen. And we have ways. We are getting around this control. And that's really important. And that's the reason why I wanted to talk about communications blackout with you, because right now we're looking, just as you and I have been talking about Ukraine, and we can definitely see the black cats want us in a nuclear war somewhere. You've got to be a perverted, sick, twisted excuse. I'm not going to say the other word. You could say it. It's okay. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that one over the air. That's funny. Uh, you know, uh, it would be the F word. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And, and by the way, uh, Marshall, before we, we jump away from, you know, the Internet here, I did have one question to ask you. You know, our President Joe Joseph Biden, one Joseph Biden, signed an executive order. I believe it was on Wednesday calling on the government to examine, you know, the risk and benefits of cryptocurrencies. I was just kind of curious what you thought uh, about crypto in particular. They want to control crypto. The central bankers want to control it. Like, of course. Yeah. No surprise there, right? No surprise, <laughs> no surprise there. there. Um, I don't think eventually that they're going to succeed. What they want to do is they want to track it. But uh, one of the things that we have to understand about crypto, and it's to me, it's the Achilles heel of crypto, is the dual the the dual entry ledger design. And so you have in the blockchain, you have these blockchain registers. They're dual entry. Now, the problem with dual entry is why do you need dual entry? You and I are doing business. And if I have a wallet, you have a wallet, I hand you the money, and it goes from my wallet directly to your wallet. Think about this is, you know, you're in a, uh, a flea market or an outside market, and you got a, a bunch of bills in your pocket, and you go, oh, I love those tomatoes. Okay, three bucks, you pull out three bucks, you hand it to the guy. That's it. It's just that simple. So why do you need a double-entry system? The reason why you need a double-entry system is skim. Skimming requires double entry systems so that you can skim for taxes, you can skim through fees. You do crypto, you're always playing the VIG. You're always paying the VIG on every transaction. And who does that really benefit? Well, it mostly benefits, frankly, the people who are making the coins, the ones that are minting. Because you put out a coin, and then what happens is all of the value you associate and put into that, if you invented it, is going to eventually come back to you in the form of fees. 
that are being continually skimmed off the top on every transaction. That's right. So if we were going to have a really good system, it would work. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I, I want to buy a car from you. I write you a check, right? That's right. That's how it works. Out of my account. The only so they thing say. I pay is the use of my account, right? Yeah. You don't see it. I'm not tracking you in. So that is my wallet to your wallet. And this is a problem with crypto. And this is where they can worm their way in because it's a dual entry system. And then the other thing is what happens when you have to take a crypto system and integrate it to central bank? And then that is a backdoor entrance for central bankers to come into crypto. So I hear, you know, folks that are saying, no, it's impossible. They can't do it. They can't do it. They can't do it. But as a technology professional, I'm retired, but as a former technology professional, I look at crypto and I immediately see the backdoor. Right. Double entry, dual entry accounting systems. Take that to single entry accounting systems, and that's a whole different thing. That's true. So you're all in favor for crypto, if it stays away from those in the central banking system. You know, it's I'm in favor of crypto if it does that. Um, Biden it's hard wants to a, say. Biden I, wants to introduce there's, a digital also, dollar. Which is, which is, I was just saying, Biden seems like he wants to introduce, you know, some digital currency for all of us here in America. Yeah. That's dangerous, well, though. Actually, it's part of a social credit system. That, too. And, you know, what did we just see in Canada where they're freezing bank accounts? Freezing assets, yes. People who donated money. Insane, by the way. That is horrible. It's absolutely insane. So... People are always, you force people to go to a gray market or a black market, they will. You know, I'll tell you a good example of a gray market. When IBM first came out with the IBM PC, this was long, this back in, in the 80s. Beige okay? computers, yes. <laughs> and I was buying, at that time, I had a systems house in Texas. And uh, I had customers that said, it's got to be an IBM. I said, there's other computers just as good, if not better. No, it has to be an IBM PC. And I said, okay. Well, at that, when they first brought them out, yeah. uh, it was, they were just, you had to buy volume. Okay. You had to do large volume buys. So you couldn't just, you didn't have an ability to do the onesie twosies. How did people get around it? Well, the guys that were, buying in volume in order to keep their volume arrangement with IBM were doing what was called gray market and they were selling their stuff back door. So you would buy it and you'd have a, if you bought it through them officially, you'd have the IBM warranty. Otherwise you didn't have the IBM warranty, but you could buy that computer from somebody else because it was a gray market deal. It was a, literally cash transactions. And I will tell you, when I was selling IBM PCs in Austin, Texas, who I was buying my gray market, quote unquote, illegal PCs from. Illegal PC, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't believe who I bought them from. Who were you Michael buying Dell. them from? Michael Dell. Really? At that time, Michael Dell was doing business out of a two-bedroom 
apartment. One bedroom had padlocks all over it, and that's where he had all his hardware. Equipment. <laughs> oh, wow. And the first time I bought, I bought a compact and I bought an IBM. And I had to actually meet him on the street under a light post. He opened the trunk of his car. I handed him cash money. He handed me the boxes, and I drove off. I bought a lot of computers that way. Great market from Michael Dell. He didn't start making his own boxes, actually, for about, an, I was about, I guess, about another year after that. Wow. So, you know, I already know where there's a will, there's a way. And that's what will happen. People will find a different way. Um, uh, and this whole thing, what Canada did. That's oh my God. insane, I mean, yes. It was insane. But it also gave everybody a wake-up call. This is what's called, you know. Hey, it can happen here. Social score. Yes, it, all all a part of social engineering, like uh, the social, social engineering, the social platforms you were just talking about. That's what it is. You know, you say behavior control. This is all part of the social engineering that goes on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Insane. And by the way, Marshall, going back to you know all these things we originally talked about when we first started talking to each other. I just got an email not long ago, and I wanted to read it really quickly to you to uh, entertain you here. Sure. It, it says, hello again. With all hell now breaking loose in the Ukraine and the beginning of what may be World War III, you are probably wishing you had a secured a Vivos bunker. However, we know that affordability is the biggest roadblock to obtain a bunker and outfit, and outfit uh, thereafter. <laughs> um, so basically, Vivos... They're back at it again with their low-cost bunkers now, by the way. Low-cost? Low-cost, they're claiming. What's low-cost? Well, it's so low-cost, Marshall, that they don't list it here in the email, so there you go. Well, I'll tell you what. You want to go talk to Vivos and any of these other people that are building bunkers on for-profit? Here's the one question you want to ask them. Okay, it's a given. You provide me with this bunker, and we will survive the big bada bing. Absolutely. Yes, sir. We'll survive. You'll survive. Our stuff is great. And then you go, okay, what happens afterwards? And they're going to look at you and go, uh, we don't know. And they're going to shrug their shoulders. And on the other hand, you know, my book, Win-Win Survival Handbook, it's all about what happens afterwards. And this is the one thing that I see that people have to start thinking about is we're going to have a coming decade of suffering. How do we get through it? And once we get through it, what are we going to do? So these guys have all these great nifty ideas, but they put you out in the community and uh, I've seen, for example, they have one community where it is uh, bunkers that are made from uh, ammo, uh, ammunition storage facilities. Right, yes. I've seen those. Okay. And here's the thing about those ammunition bunkers. They were designed that you could back in a, a 548 that was an ammo carrier for the military. But the door is not big enough to pull in a trailer. If you have something like that and you have a large door, a large hangar door, 
that you could bring in a trailer. You can go out and buy a used trailer with a leaky roof, but it's not too bad for next to nothing. And you roll it in there, and that's it. Uh, you don't have to worry about a leaky roof, and you've got a complete unit. It's all plumbed out. Well, you can't do that. So you have to build into it. But the thing about ammo bunkers that nobody is told, nobody understands, is the thickness of the wall. Ammo bunkers are built, the side walls are extremely thick, but on top it's extremely thin. So why is it thick on the sides and thin on the top? Because if the ammunition detonates, this will force the blast to go up instead of sideways, which would then set off a chain reaction. So, with these shelters, uh, and they even show them with a the skylight. That's right. Um, you don't have the protection over your head that you think you have. It's along the sides of the structure, but not on top. So, I look at solutions like that, and it's clever. And it's something out there, and they're serving an audience and doing what they're doing. But as someone who's been studying this for over 20 years, to me, it's a non-starter. Right. I don't want a thin skin over my head. And what's the point of having a bunker? You got stuff that's going to fall on you, right? Uh, you also have to worry about EMP red, you know, radiation from uh, not only atomic weapons, but you got 5G as well. Uh, you don't want all of these, uh, you know, you don't want this radiation pumping through your head. And, and a bomb that detonates an airburst, you have to have five feet of soil over on top of your bunker just to stop that EMP from radiating in and cooking your brains. So where's the five foot of over cover? Right. Yeah, so these are the you know these are the questions that I raise. Yes, and uh, essentially it's a death trap. Yeah, it is. And it that's is. what uh, Ron Paul might uh, figure out essentially as well. Um, for those yeah. that don't know, you know he apologized to his supporters recently, and of course he sealed himself up in an underground bunker mm -hmm. in fear of the collapse of the American dollar. By the way. Mm -hmm. That's kind of insane to see um, him doing something like that. Yeah. Is he that worried? Yeah, but I I still come back to what I'm seeing happening on the ground and the awareness that's happening for people. You know, we can look at these other folks and we can talk about them until the cows come home. Right. What I care about is what's happening around the dinner table. Which is more important, yes. That's right. And people, you know, are there. What we have right now is an awakening, and awakenings are never pleasant. Okay. Um, you know, an awakening is pretty much like a root canal. You just white knuckle your way through it. Right. And of course, but things are, people are finding ways around to communicate. And it's, it's sure, what sure. I want to show in my communications blackout. Uh, presentation a little bit here yes, is sir. there's what we can do when everything goes because our communication systems are immensely vulnerable okay more than everybody wants us to know even Starlink you know they've lost 40 of their satellites because of a solar storm 
I believe that, yes. Yeah. And actually, they, and I think that was a positive thing for them. The satellites, according to them, were still, you know, they were still getting them boosted up into their normal orbits. And so they were vulnerable at that point. The ones that are up there where they should be uh, took it. But you still have Achilles heels vulnerabilities in our communication systems. And people who are working with the front facing side of it don't understand it. I made my living in that black hole behind your computer modem. I understand that. I understand data centers, storage area networks, you know, how you get all, you know, firewalls, security. I know all that. Worked in all that. All yeah. right. I see all of that. And I see the vulnerabilities of the system. And this is something that you know, I want to talk more length about it. We need to, but on the other hand, we don't have to be vulnerable to it. Now, people ask me, how many folks are going to die during the planet X tribulation during this flyby? And it's not a pleasant answer. But equally, it's not pleasant to say, you know, it could be uh, as much as 90% of the global population if we're not prepared. If we're prepared, we can save a lot more people. But the simple truth of it is, what will be the single leading cause of death? During the planet X tribulation, very simple, self-selection. People will make bad choices. They will go, I'm not going to worry about it. Wait and see. Somebody else will figure it out. Let's go to the mall. You know, whatever you want to do. You don't pay attention. That's self-selection. On the other hand, people that are going, we need to start doing something. Because survival is not a person, place, thing, or time. Survival is a state of mind, and I'm seeing that. Now, here's a major interesting shift in what's happening in America and what's going to happen over the next two years. You know, Zelenko, Dr. Zelenko has said half of the people have been vaccinated or have received, excuse me, God, I used the taboo word. Sorry for that, Michael. No worries. I meant to say the <laughs> official government fluid. And for those who have received the official government solution, you got a 50% 50 chance of plotting. All right? That's it. Game over. Demographically, look at who is accepting the official government fluid. These are dominated by people on the left and the liberal areas, particularly in what we call the Clinton Archipelagos, which are the coastal major metroplexes, Chicago. And these archipelagos are right on major bodies of water, Great Lakes, Atlantic, Pacific. And, you know, over the years, how many times have we had talked about, you got to get off the coast, right? Yeah, we've been talking so, about it for years. That's right. And if there is a nuclear war, Oof. what, you think they're going to want to to bomb backhoe Idaho? No, I don't no, no. think so. No. All right. It'll be here. They're going, yeah, they're going to be hitting the New Yorks, Los Angeles, San Francisco. That's where they're going to hit. They're going to do the most amount of damage. These are the areas that are the most heavily vaccinated. And most vulnerable for attack. Most yeah. vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So what you have is... In the course of the coming two years, we are going to have a major shift in politics in America as a result of this. 
because what's happening is where is the defiance? Where are the people who are going, hey, you and your official government fluid, you can kiss my ass, all right? <laughs> yes. I ain't going to do it. And they're coming from the right and very heavy in the rural areas. So what's going to happen is that right now the levers of power controlled in the Clinton corridors, if you look at it realistically, this is where the levers of power are being controlled. These areas are decimated because of nuclear war, because they're uh, having injuries as a result of the official government fluid. All right. And then on top of that, a Planet X flyby with tsunamis, impacts, floods, and whatever. And so what's who's going to be left? The population of the United States is whittled down. It's going to be conservatives in the flyover states are going to dominate politics in a whole massive way. So this is already going. This is the reason why the Democrats have thrown the borders over to get as many illegals in as they possibly can without vaccinating them. You know, you cross, just walk across the river, hello, how you go, here's an airplane ticket, go somewhere, lots of free money, and don't worry about it. you don't have to do the fluid. Because they know, they have already thrown a much of their base under the bus. But these people are still, you know, they're still chanting the chant. They're still, you know, loyal to the cause. And they don't understand that thanks to this, there's a lot of people who are dead men walking now. And they don't know. I'm here in Maine. Now, I'm in an area of Maine that is, this, this area I'm in is the safest place to be for Planet X in America, period. Took me seven years to find it, and I'm here. And I want to build a community here. And I want, because there's good people. What we need are healthy, young families. Because right now we are facing an existential threat of extinction as a natural species, as opposed to becoming part of this transhuman insanity. Well, you look at like a state like Maine, 90% of the population lives within 10 miles of the coast. Not good. No, not okay. at all. So this is just an idea of, and if you get off the coast, on the coast, it is absolutely blue as blue gets because most of these people are from New York, Greenwich Village, Massachusetts, these places. They come up to Maine to go slumming, retire, get a cheap place relative to where they're at. So that's where the blue is. You go... The other 10% population, which is the rest of the state, they're much safer, and they're very conservative. Nothing but Trump signs all over the place here. But what I like about rural people in particular, and rural people have a—these are the real survivors. They hunt, they fish, they farm, they barter, they work with their neighbors— you know, if you're in the city, you don't have any idea of who's on the other side of the wall from you. Not really, yeah. Out in the country, you know who's around you. If they're a mile from your farm, you know who they are. You may not hang with them, but you know who they are. Right, you're aware of you their... In the country yeah. are, are much more savvy. And we think, people in the city think, great, if there's a problem, we'll just flood out of the city like, city like locusts, and we're going to consume everything in sight. 
Ah, ah, I'll tell you what I hear. And I mean, years I've been talking to people all across the country. I've done so much research. I've gone east, west, north, and south. And if I were to write a book about that phase of my life, it would be titled Airport Food Courts of America. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Right. And I'll tell you what country folks say. We know every bridge, every road. We got dynamite, and we got chainsaws, and we know how to use them. And these are going to be tough people. And if city folk think they're going to go in and push them around, uh-uh, you do that. You get out in the country, country folk, you do that. You're going to be wind. You're going to wind up being fed to the pigs. It's that just like that. So there's a lot of naivete in the cities because these people live in artificialities. If you see a tree in a city, it's because it's permitted, not because God put it there. That's right. Okay. And so there is a view of the world that is disconnected. You don't... Uh, in every way, yes. Live with the ground. Yeah, you, you have lots of people very just completely disconnected from reality in, in major cities, of course, as you know. As everyone knows, obviously, it's pretty uh, evidently, um, you know, these things happen. You see the agendas in play. You see these folks, the ones who are in power. Um, yeah, it, it's disgusting. I was trying to be kind of PC about it, but um, it, it's hard to be. Yeah, you can't. You know, for those of folks that are living in the city, what I would say is, hey, you know, have you got a telecommute job now? That's one advantage of COVID. So many more of us are telecommuting. Well, when Starlink comes out, you know, the big problem being in rural areas is the Internet sucks. Okay? I can't find a more polite word. If you're out in the country, Internet sucks. Uh, on the other hand, Starlink, you got a pizza-sized dish that you put up, and you're getting 5G speeds anywhere. It's a global communication system. That's going to allow people who are working off-site, working remote, that you can go anywhere. You could be in Antarctica. Yeah, well, not Antarctica. They don't, they don't work up there. But, I mean, you could be anywhere. You get a Starlink signal, and you can continue doing your job. So keep an eye open on that. And when that comes available, it's coming. your company will let you relocate. My advice to you is pick up roots and move. Get out of there. What you want to do, see the difference between people who live in cities and live in the country. Let's talk about the differences. In the country, where you live is your plan A. If you live in the country, your plan A, you know, is going to fail. And if there's a catastrophe, so you have to have a plan B. So the plan B thinking, all this Cold War stuff, is really something that's more in high-density population areas, all right? And you get out in the country, folks are much more resilient. Now, if they got to go to ground to protect themselves, they'll do it. They got tractors, backhoes, and they got friends, and everybody will pull in, and they'll work together. They know each other. They go to church with each other. They'll help out. In the city, you know, people really don't know each other. In the city, you don't want to know anybody, right? Right. Why would you? <laughs> That's right. In so my opinion, it, yes. It doesn't have that advantage. So my advice to folks that are seeing all of this, and if you live in the city, 
and you can relocate without losing your income. Now's the time. You know, there's an old saying, leave the party while everyone's laughing. This is that time. It'd be if you can afford it nowadays. I mean, it's that's right. Uh, if you can, if you do have the financial means to move, uh, you know, it'd be a good time to do so right now. But uh, for some people, just uh, getting by the week and paying their gas takes a huge toll out of that um, out of the bank there for them. It does. It does. So they're but, facing all you know, kinds of issues. That's right. And if you do move out to the country. You know, if you're in a conservative area, don't drag your woke nonsense in. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you, <laughs> you know, you're going to be about as welcome as a bowl full of itching powder in a hemorrhoid clinic. Yeah, you'll be very popular there. <laughs> yeah. Almost too popular. Yeah, you know, um, now you want to get out and uh, you you got to be a good neighbor. And you got to work with the people there and become part of the community. Strive to become. You're just not someone there that says, oh, you're in the country. Great. Um, we need service people to do my nails and wash my car. It's nice to meet you. No, that's not going to work. You know, you got to get out there and be a part of that greater community. That's essential to it. I, I remember when I was doing I, I made two reconnaissance trips up to Whitefish Eureka area up in Montana. Because this is where everybody was going. This is where you want to go. This is where you want to go. I'm telling you it's the last place I would go on the face of the earth. You know, because one, water is so difficult. If there's a property that has excellent water, it's been in a family trust for a hundred years already. Otherwise, you're going to be perched on some rocky shale mountaintop where you got to drill 900 feet to get to water, which means you got to have 400 amp service to pull that up. What, you're going to get 400 amp service to run your well during the middle of a crisis? I don't think so. On top of that, you got all of these, you know, diehard preppers up there with their you know, camouflage painted pickup trucks. I mean, Eureka is the only place where you see gun racks in Volvos. All right. I feel sorry for the people that live up there. It terrifies them because these folks are, you know, we're out in the country and we're, you know, doing this and we're doing that. Well, you know, we don't want to know you. You don't want to know us, everybody. And there's this, you know, leave us alone kind of thing. No, that's not the way it works. Not the way it will work. And so I look at an area like that, and I'm going, no way. Eureka Whitefish, get the hell out of there, period. Just don't even bother. Because if you're going to find a good piece of property with water on it, that's it. It's going to soak. It, it, you're gonna, it's going to soak you for money like you wouldn't believe. But on the other hand, there are a lot of areas, rural areas, where all of these onerous uh, laws, you know, these death taxes have caused family farms to shatter because the kids are going just I got to take a I got to, you know, the property is paid off. Mom and dad paid off the property, but we're going to have to take a humongous mortgage just to pay the inheritance. And as a result of that, a lot of, you know, you just didn't have this handing it off from one generation to the next. And so there are a lot of land opportunities out in rural areas that are really good. And this is what you want to look for. There's ways to look for it. It's all, all of that's in my book, Win-Win Survival Handbook. So 
for you know it's it's survival frankly is like real estate you know what the three rules of premium real estate are is location 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 and survival is the same the first thing you have to do everybody wants to run out and, and you know and they're they're buying buckets of food at Costco and stuff like that now what you got to do is work on your location you want to get 150 miles away from a major body of water you want to ideally be at 2,000 feet above sea level but you can give or take on that and you know for example here in Maine I'm 150 miles from the coastline but I'm 250 miles away from the eastern shoreline of Nova Scotia, which really acts like a barrier island for tsunami events uh, in the Atlantic that would come from impacts or even, you know, rods of gods or nuclear weapons. And that's 250 miles. So you're, you know, it, it's a general rule of thumb, but you want to be away from the water and you want to be up. And that's where you're going. And the other thing is, my strategy is you want to look for vertical land. If you're going to buy farmland, you're competing with Bill Gates and the Chinese. Congratulations. You get something on a mountainside, you get a nice piece of property. It's really affordable, and you're building on rock. Okay? You cut a wedge in the side of the mountain, you build your domes, and then you overfill and you are snug as a bug in a rug with the strongest structures known to man. You last a thousand years, and they will get you through a pole shift. That's what I designed in Win-Win Survival Handbook. But getting people to think that far out is really difficult. It's very tough, yes, especially for those, especially for those that are, you know, on the older side, you know, the senior citizens out there, you know, it's probably difficult for them to, uh, you know, for them to actually move and do any of these things at times. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, that's why I call it busting a move. You got to bust up your life to do it. Yeah. You know, you got to find say, someone, you know, you get in front of the family. Hey, wife. Hey, kids. Guess what? We're, we're, we're pulling up stakes and we're going to go live out in the country and you guys are going to have ponies and bunnies and whatever. And the kids are going, what are you smoking, dad? Yeah, <laughs> that might not work out. Yeah, that's not going to work out. People are going to resist. It's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. So this is something we could America could save so many people from disaster. But. Like I said, the single leading cause of death will be self-selection. Right. And, and of course, so it is a courageous few that understands, you know what? I need to get the family to safe, to someplace safe. My strategy is very simple. Find a nice, safe niche of the world where history can mostly pass you by and go to ground. Yeah, that'd be the safest thing. And of course, you can check out Marshall's book at yaousa.com just in case anyone's wondering where they can find uh, the Win-Win Survival Handbook. Um, I'm sure mm -hmm. some people are probably well are thinking, well, where do we get this book, the survival guide? But yeah, yaousa.com, Y-O-W-U-S-A.com. That's right. And you can buy it from my site if you go to domecommunity.com and uh, buy a signed copy. But it's also available on Amazon. Very good, and yes, these books are quite, quite impressive, Marshall. You spent a lot, lot of time researching and putting these together. I did you cover uh, a lot of ground. I had, 
three principal titles for survival, which are uh, Win-Win Survival Handbook, Surviving the Planet X Tribulation, and Radio Free Earth, which is what we're going to be talking about here in a little bit. And because each and over to all together, this is a thousand pages of solid documentation. Oh, yes. And it is to one, help you get your head around it and explain it to others, which is surviving the planet X tribulation. The other is radio free earth, which is really important for communication. We go dark. We're back to sundials. Yeah. All right. And if we go dark, I'm in trouble, by the way. I, I, I couldn't do anything uh, to save my own ass here in terms of modern technology. You know, I can't build my own radio or anything of that nature. So, you know, I, I could barely light a fire. That's it. That's the reason why. But there are things that you can do. And that's the reason why I say survival is a state of mind. Oh, yes. It's not a person, place, thing, or time. Consumers do that. All right. That's how they evaluate it. But true survival is a state of mind, situational awareness. And you understand that the key to surviving is, one, you need to be situationally aware. You have to honestly assess your situation. Two, you have to develop a plan to deal with it. And three, you have to be able to commit yourself to acting on that plan, even if it's not the optimal plan. Now, Marshall, let's get into Radio Free Earth here and talk about some of these, some of the pages and some of these slides I'm looking at here. Yep. Let's do my communications blackout, which I have done just for you, Michael. Thank you. I really appreciate that, by the way. It's, it's an honor. Well, thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity because you see the need for it. Oh, so yeah. let's get into it. Um, I'm Marshall Masters, and the book I published is Radio Free Earth, The Complete Beginner's Guide to Survival Communications. And you can learn more about it at RadioFreeEarth.org or come to YOWUSA.com. Now, here's a question for everyone. How could the Canadian truckers organize a grassroots movement without crushing censorship? In other words, these guys were off the radar. Think about it. Who knew? All of a sudden, they have hundreds of trucks heading for Ottawa, and it just like pops at us out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. We're, we're caught by surprise. I was caught by surprise, but so were the elites. That's an important thing. So why were the elites caught by surprise? All right. And especially... How did a technology dating back to the 1920s circumvent the might of the Soviet Union? This is the question to answer the first question. In the Cold War, we had like the Voice of America, and they were able to broadcast into the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union really tried to block these signals, and they couldn't do it. And when I was doing business in Russia, I was always talking to people, and they were telling me about, you know, they'd sit around and listen, have their little radios, pull them out, and they could listen. They had BBC, Voice of America, all right? And um, it was interesting what the Russians used to tell me. They said all of it was propaganda. We just were looking for 
the ones that could give us useful propaganda, and the one they liked the most was Voice of America. Oh, my. And the point here is analog RF is the heartbeat of freedom. What does analog RF mean? Analog radio frequency. Old school radios that date back to the 1920 in terms of technology. Now, when you talk about these ham radios and CB radios and all that, this is in America for a long time. Uh, the ARRL, the Amateur Radio Relay League, their motto was, when all else fails. And unfortunately, that motto on their organization is dying like a lot of the guys that like the radios. I mean, I have to admit, being a ham with a general license, uh, it's mostly all the caucus. I didn't know you were a licensed ham operator, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I'm a licensed uh, ham operator. I have a general license. Very nice. And so... Uh, but unfortunately, ARRL has moved away from this because they're going to digital radios, which require the Internet, and it completely defeats the whole point of Amingham and True Radio. Yeah. But they're desperate to try and get younger people who want the digital, so they're abandoning their roots to go that way. Good luck with it. I don't renew my membership. Um, I am talking about what we need are... People have to talk and think about single sideband citizen band radios. It's called SSBCB. These are the 21st century heartbeat of freedom. And this is what I want to talk to everybody. And it's worth your time, listeners, to what I'm going to tell you, because these things are cheap compared to ham radios. Ham radios, you're in the thousands of dollars if you're an enthusiast. I'm talking about radios that are a few hundred dollars and can do some amazing things. You can communicate near and far. No license is required. They're simple to operate. They're highly portable. They're inexpensive. But, okay, granted, with cell phones and the Internet, why do we need CB radios? Let's talk about assessing the threat from electromagnetic pulse EMP, which was a report of the commission to assess the threat to the United States from electromagnetic pulse EMP attack, which was created by Congress and funded by Congress. And in 2017, here was their findings. Quote, a long-term outage owing to EMP could disable most critical supply chains, leaving the U.S. population living in conditions similar to centuries past prior to the advent of electrical power. Furthermore, in the 1800s, the U.S. population was less than 60 million, and those people had many skills and assets necessary for survival without today's infrastructure. I got news for you. We don't have 60 million people today that know anything what people knew in the 1800s. Oh, not at all. That's right. This is what consumerism has done to us. So what are we talking about with EMP threats? Let's talk about the two big ones. First, communication blackouts by natural electromagnetic pulse EMP events. Solar. A huge solar storm knocks it down. Remember, we just talked about Starlink lost 40 satellites. That's right. Okay, because of a solar event. But then there's communications blackout by man-made electromagnetic pulse, EMP events. All right? So that brings us to today. 
what do we have today? Wars and rumors of wars. That's right. Nuclear war concerns. And we're sitting here right now. You, me, and the people listening to this are asking the same question. What could happen? What if? Yeah. Yeah. So now what I want to do to answer that, because this is going to give everyone a sense of our vulnerability. In my book, Being in it for the Species, The Universe Speaks, I published that in 2014, I have an impact event prediction. Now, this book was channeled. I did part of it. Uh, an a woman by the name of Antonia did much of it. And the interesting thing, we had a method of working with this when we were writing Being. We did all this work in 2013. And... J.P. Jones was my assistant, and he was working on technical aspects, and we were working with the guides, and we were going through a lot of things. We were talking about the Anunnaki, the return, how do we deal with the things we're dealing with today, Yeah. but it was also the natural disasters coming. And what I can tell you is when we were doing this, Antonia, J.P. Jones, and myself, we were all over the map because we'd ask one question and we'd get an answer. And it was like, oh, my gosh, if that's that, then what about this other thing over there? So it's like the See America shortcut. We're right. zigzagging everywhere because we're picking up the information. And literally, when we were doing the research on the book, we were about two thirds of the way in. And J.P. Jones and I were both saying the same thing. We have zigzagged so doggone much, we lost track of where the hell we are. <laughs> what are we going to do about it? Right. And I said, let's just soldier on and hope to God we can clean it up later. And that's what we did. So after we finished everything, the book was written, the illustrations were done, I started working on publishing. And when I started working on the publishing, what we found was that, and what totally amazed us is while we lost track of where we were in this process timeline. The guides were always spot on the money. They all—they were always consistent. We were the ones that were all over the place. And so in order to, for us to sort out what we were doing, we actually had to go back to what the guides were giving us in the readings because it was just nail-on consistent. Click, 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 connect the dots. Perfect. and. There was one thing in the book, and it was a predicted impact event that is going to be devastating for the world. And we were saying, fine, where is it going to happen? The guides are telling us it's going to happen in the Eastern Atlantic. But what was really unusual for us was that the guides were extremely intense about us knowing the precise right location for that impact. And we were going, well, you know, uh, make it easy for us. And they said, fine, use these two cities, take this city, draw a line west, take this city, draw a line north, and that's your coordinate. So we did that, and it didn't work. Just It just couldn't work. And we figured, aha, oh, my gosh, that's it. You know, where are we at with our, uh, we're doing channeled readings. This isn't working. Uh-oh, uh-oh. We go to the guides and we tell them it's wrong. And the guides came back and they said, no, you're wrong. And we're going, we're wrong? 
They said, yeah, we gave you the name of two cities. Oh, no. The second city, actually, that same name for the city is used in two continents, Africa and Europe. You picked the wrong one. And when we picked the right one, blink, X marks the spot. All right? And here's the strange part. It was just due north of La Palma. And we know we've just gone through this major eruption of La Palma. And with that, let me just take you through this scenario. And this is in my book, Being It for the Species, The Universe Speaks, published in 2014. So this is a prediction that was published in 2014. That's not, this isn't something I did yesterday, all right? And frankly, this is something we really didn't, you know, it was like when we were doing it, we reported it, but it wasn't clicking. It wasn't making sense to me why the guides were so intense about us knowing the precise exact location. So let me take you through the uh, scenario yes. of this impact event. Go ahead. Now, first off, what we have is an impactor that's traveling from west to east, and the impact site in the eastern Atlantic is north of La Palma and west of France. Okay, you could just draw it, and I put the location right there. Now, when we were doing this, okay, it was this. This was all we had from our notes in 2013. Was this location? It wasn't until I was publishing the book in 2014 that I just got curious one day, and I said, you know, they they went to such great trouble to make us find this spot. So it's water. What's the deal? Maybe there's something we're not seeing. In other words, something below the surface. And when I started researching, I found the big bada bing. Ooh. Now, in the book, we have an illustration, and it actually, at first glance, it looks like, you know, when you're in the airport, you're reading the, the magazines and the you know on the airplane yeah. and they show the the routes that they fly. Right, right. It looks like an airline route map. It's nothing like it. It's a route map, but it's not airlines. The map is for all of the undersea fiber optic cables that make the internet work. And what we found is the impact site when we went to a seafloor view. What we see is the impactor strikes Atlantic communication. Nexus point for subsea cables. Ooh. And this one site is a massive Achilles heel. You drop an asteroid or a nuclear bomb on it, you have just destroyed 80% of the internet connection between America and Europe. All right? So if we're in a war with China or Russia and they want to break NATO and really hit NATO, this is exactly where you attack. This is exactly where you attack, is in this impact site the guys were showing, which then raises the question in my mind, because I went back in my notes. They never said the word asteroid. I see. They always just said impactor. An impactor, okay. So if it's they're not saying asteroid, but they're saying impactor, what in the hell is it? That was my curious. So that led me to the next thing. Now, you can search this on the internet called Rods of God. Rods of God, yes. I'm quite familiar with that. 
These are weaponized asteroids, and these are ideal for false flag attacks. Now, these are space-based kinetic weapons, and they have devastating nuclear-like detonation on impact capabilities. Uh, they're very simple, 20 foot long, one foot in diameter, and these tungsten rods are dropped from orbit and achieve speeds of 10 times the speed of sound, all right? And they're in space. You see, it's just tungsten. Now, why tungsten? Tungsten, by weight, is nearly as heavy as gold. In fact, a lot of people have been sold uh, tungsten, gold-plated tungsten forgeries in bars and coins. And if they don't put it on a scale, they don't know the difference, but it feels like gold in your hand. It's that heavy. So this is, tungsten's really heavy. And you drop it from orbit, it becomes a kinetic weapon. And when it hits, it is going to hit with as much, it's going to release as much energy as an atomic bomb. Now, the interesting thing of it is that there is, it's perfect for a false flag attack because it doesn't leave a radiation footprint where they could go and find, okay, we know that we sampled the radiation. It came from here. It came from there. All of this has been mapped out. It won't map out because it's just tungsten, all right? And it is going to cause a massive amount of damage. So let's take and go through, assume it's a rod of God, all right? And how does this go through? Well, first off, after the impact, the Internet goes down. It goes down. Which will happen. Which will happen. And But then comes ejecta and ashfall on Europe. And interestingly enough, uh, the country that's going to get hit the hardest in this is actually going to be Germany, because this is where the ejecta, the large rocks, are going to fall in. Meanwhile, you have uh, everything else is going to get hammered. Now... What this is going to do is when this impactor hits, it's going to generate tsunamis that draw, strike Europe and America, all right? And the, the big one, because the remember, it's traveling from west to east, so that hits into Europe, going to be devastating. Uh, London and Paris are not going to escape this. First, they have the ashfall and the ejecta, but... This is going, that water is just going to come in, and the rivers are going to surge, and London and Paris are going to flood catastrophically. Now, then comes the second act. Remember I told you when we got the accurate uh, coordinate from the guides, it was due north of the Canary Islands, where La Palma is located. Well, what happens is this detonation sets off another eruption of La Palma. La Palma has a slide block event that generates a massive tsunami that's going to hit from the Caribbean to Nova Scotia and into Canada. It's going to be awful. And this is going to cause a huge amount of death along the east coast of the United States. And then from there... There's other events, and it goes on, and it goes on. So here is, if we are provoking China and we're provoking Russia, particularly Russia, 
they have space-based capabilities. No doubt, we have rods of God in space, so do they, because there are no treaties that prohibit it. All the treaties prohibit putting nuclear weapons into space. A tungsten rod is not a nuclear weapon, so there's nothing that prevents it. And this impact triggers the La Palma eruption and tsunami, and there you go. Bada boom, the U.S. hits it, the internet is down, uh, you're going to have all of our naval bases along the East Coast are going to be destroyed, our internet's going to be destroyed, our leadership, Washington is gone. Remember, you know, Ed Dames, Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom, right. You know, he remote viewed, and what started him on his kill uh, kill, kill shot theory, kill shot, that rather, they yes. re re remote viewed in the future, they were using the Supreme Court building, which they saw in the future as being under 100 feet of brackish water. That would be a tsunami. All right. And there's a lot of currencies. So it, it's, I find that what the guides here are talking about, same thing that he's talking about with this kill shot, it just keeps coming up. Am I saying this is absolutely certain to happen? No, because my first rule of prophecy and predictions are be aware of them, but don't live in expectation of them. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. And, you know, all this talk before all these years ago, it might have been or it might have sounded crazy at the time. But I mean, in hindsight, it's pretty accurate now. It is. And so, you know, it comes to the next question. You have something like this. Russia and China say, that's it. We're going to take out NATO and the United States and Europe. We're going to make so much grief for you. You're just not going to have your, – your hands are full. You're not going to be able to communicate. Right. You know, that's it. It's total devastation. And only one event. They got to just drop one tungsten rod on that one coordinate north of La Palma and hit that nexus of subsea cables. Boy, talk about BOGO, buy one, get one free, right? That's Ooh. right. And, of course, you know, an EMP, if in case something like that does go, go off, you know, electromagnetic pulse or another sort of weapon of mass destruction of sorts, uh, something that wouldn't be hitting, you know, the bottom of the ocean floor, you know, telephones and cell phones and the Internet will be gone for sure. And, of course, it will affect uh, the radio system as well. It, it can affect the two-way radio uh, system as well, but there's also ways to sort of protect that from happening as well. So it isn't exactly completely out of the realm to still be using a CB radio like we're talking about here. In case, for, in case the, the listeners out there are saying, but, you know, if that happens, that means that all communication is lost. It's like, yes, but not exactly. Now, here's what I want your listeners to know, because what I want to do in, as we go through the rest of this little presentation, right? and I have designed this so that you know, everyone says, oh, yeah, get a CB, get a CB, get a CB. If you don't have a CB, you don't know what you're talking about, because it's not the right kind of CB. You don't want the CBs truckers use. Yes. You want the CBs actually that are more popular with farmers and amateurs, called single sideband CB. So... Let's get into that. Let's talk about we're not dependent. You and I are not dependent on some third party to provide us with connectivity. Right. We connect. I can talk to you. You can talk to me. We both have a radio, and there's no middleman between us. All right? 
and we're at a distance. You could be a couple hundred miles from me. And if you're doing ham radio, like I said, ham radios, you're in the thousands of dollars. But single sideband citizen band radio, you're in the hundreds of dollars, just a few hundred dollars. And you have a radio that is a low-cost two-way radio for survival communications both near and far. So let's take what I'm saying, you know, CB near. I'm talking, this is what truck drivers do. And they're using just standard CBs. They're not using single side band CBs because single side CBs, and we look at the range on that, are much bigger, much, much bigger. All right. Um, and let me just jump back into this. No worries. Here. I dropped my screen. That's okay. <laughs> so we have CBs, which are near. Truck drivers use CBs, just standard CBs, not single sideband CBs, because with a single sideband CB, all right, uh, a regular CB, you're a few miles around you. With a single sideband CB, you're hundreds of miles. There's actually people that use single sideband CBs that have communications. They're on the East Coast, and they're actually able to talk to people in Europe. Wow. On these little radios that only cost a few hundred dollars. It's really an amazing technology. So let's you know, look at what you have with your rust, rough estimates for maximum range. With CB, you're up to five miles optimally. And with single sideband, you're hundreds of miles. With ham radio, you can go a third of the way around the earth. Okay. But with ham radios, you got to know what you're doing, and they're expensive. Single sideband and regular CBs, again, a few hundred dollars. But where do CB radios and ham radios exist in the overall picture of things, the FCC band plan, all right? Now, if you are an amateur ham radio operator, you know your U.S. amateur radio bands. And what a lot of people don't realize is that a single sideband CB is nothing more than a low-cost, bare-bones ham radio because you're working in the amateur bands area. A CB and single sideband CB are on the 11-meter band which is between the ham 10 meter and the ham 12 meter. So what does this mean? Well, if you're just a regular CB, you got four, four watts of transfer power. So it's a very limited range of up to five miles, uh, basically about three to four in general. Uh, but then you have, uh, you're doing what's called AM, amplitude modulation. And that's the mode. Amplitude modulation gives you a ground wave. And also, it can give you what's called random skip, a sky wave that's a random skip. And occasionally, people have CBs, actually can talk to people at great distances. But uh, it doesn't, it's one of those catch-as-catch-can kind of deals. How are you going to do this so you can regularly do it? All right? Well, now what you have is instead of AM mode, you have either upper sideband or lower sideband. And upper sideband, lower sideband are two sides of the same coin. But 
The difference is, is that your transmit power is 12 watts as opposed to the AM for four. And you can have a range of over a thousand miles if you got the right antenna. Um, same thing with lower sideband. Now with both upper sideband and lower sideband, you have a solid sky wave. You're bouncing off the ionosphere. So this is the reason why when you have just a regular CB, you have ground waves, so that's near. But when you're single sideband CB, you have the ground wave plus you have the sky wave as well. Now, what do you want for radios? Well, affordable CB, SSB CB radios. Uh, in my book, we talk about three of them. Uh, Radio Free Earth is the Uniden, the present McKinley, and the Galaxy. They're all good. It just depends on what you like, right. what you want to do. But the important thing about these radios is it's not like ham radios with a gazillion buttons and knobs on them. It's pretty simple, straightforward. Again, bare bones. But I will tell you this. If you know how to use a single sideband CB radio, you already know what the most important things so that if you sat down with a ham radio, you could operate it. Because to be honest, most of the features on ham radios are filters and stuff like that, gizmos and gadgets that they use to fine tune in conversations. And that's important. Now, why is it truckers don't like single sideband CB radios? That's simple. Because you got to fiddle with them. They're a little quirky. And AM, you know, a standard CB, it's an AM mode. That's it. You know, key the mic. There you go. If you're doing single sideband, you're always having to do a little bit of fine-tuning here and there to get that signal in. And if you're hurling down the road in an 18-wheeler, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but on Probably the other not. hand, there are a lot of farmers that have single sideband CB radios and amateurs, and they love them. They don't mind because they're at home and they have a home set up and they can sit there and fiddle with it all day long. Now, when you're buying these things, um, these three brands of radios, I mean, you're talking about um, just a few hundred dollars. And... Uh, in many cases, it's under $200. Most cases, they're under $200. However, here's the fantastic thing. A lot of people don't realize there's more, even single sideband CBs, which under C, in this world of CBs, there's not, there, the other ones, there are many more of them, the more simple ones. But there are probably just as many single sideband CBs, if not more, than ham radios. And the great thing is you have what I call single sideband CB bargain hunting. A lot of folks don't understand the value of these things. And so you go to a flea market, garage sale, they got CB radios, their dad's old CB, you know, put it out there. Now that you understand the modes, you understand what to look for. You want to make sure that radio has a setting for three modes, AM, upper, and lower. Okay, you see that? That's a single sideband radio. That's pretty easy. Now, when you're buying, if you want to buy, what you want to do is, obviously, you want to, they all run off a 12 volt. You can power them off the battery in your car. And you want to fire it up and see if it's going to work. But with all radios, 
never use the microphone unless you have an antenna connected to that radio. If you you're you're shopping around, say, okay, let's fire it up. Let's see if it's still, you know, let's see if it'll light. Right. And you key the mic and there's no antenna, you'll blow out the finals and that's the end of the radio. So you don't want to do that. But also, a lot of times these people, they'll sell it to you for bubkiss. So even if it turns out, you know, it's a problem, if you have two or three of those radios, you got spare parts, you know, that's fine. And so shop around. And you're looking, you know, particularly garage sales. I have found wonderful deals on radios at garage sales. Not ham radios. Ham radios, people understand those are worth money. But CBs, people don't understand. Now, another thing that's really important with CBs is the antennas. And also uh, eBay, by the way. Antennas that you see. That's right. That's right. And there's just tons of them. Um you can have magnetic mounts, but if you really want that distance, you're looking for essentially my favorite are just wire antennas, like a dipole hanging off of a couple of trees. Boy, you put a 11 meter dipole up there, you're going to reach out and touch somebody. You can talk no far with those, yeah. That. You can reach someone in uh, Australia. Wow, wow, and uh, the you know the thing is is that you see the the antennas you see on the trucks. And you're going to generally, with trucks, you're going to see one antenna, which is going to give you 360 degrees of coverage. But the problem with those antennas is that they tend to pick up interference from the truck and the trailer itself. And so you see a lot of trucks will put these dual CB antennas up. Now, this is, these are, this is a tuned array, and it's designed to project most of the coverage in front of you and behind you, as opposed to the sides of you. And also those two antennas, and you'll see those two antennas typically are, are mounted on the rear view mirrors. That's a favorite place. And you'll see those on each rear view mirror. And so that is someone who's using a CB with good antennas for really good reception forwards and backwards. This is how the Canadians truckers caught us or off guard. See, in America, CB radios are not that much in trucks anymore because 90% or more of the trucks on the road are owned by corporations, and they only put in, if they put in anything, it'll be GPS. They don't install CBs. Yeah. Drivers have to do it themselves. Owner-operators, most all owner-operators will have a CB. In Canada, all truckers are owner-operators. So this is where the... Canadian freedom movement really came to be was up in Canada where you have owner-operator truck drivers and they're out on the road and they're talking to each other on their CBs. And I'm going to tell you something. You now, uh, the police will monitor 19 for you know emergencies and that's a good thing. Otherwise, it's unmonitored. You're moving. It's difficult to track. Way open ground. This is the reason why everyone was blindsided, including the elites, by the truckers, because most of the communication that happened to create this ground swell of popular support for the movement yeah. was happening on CB through the radio. Yeah, this grassroots movement that just came came out of uh, nowhere. That's right. And you can't censor a CB. 
you can just simply create enough noise that nobody can use that frequency. So fine, move to another frequency. Yeah. You know, uh, that's the, the thing. And you have the right antenna, you're doing all that. You're in good shape. Now, um, what to do? How to get started? You want to do a single sideband CB, but for those people who haven't done it, what I really suggest to everyone is, yeah, it's good to get on Amazon and do a lot of research and a lot of looking around, but there's also learning curve. And there's a fastest way to jump that learning curve is to work with a CB radio shop. And they're not that easy to find anymore, no, but yeah. you find one. Pretty hard. And this is typically guys that are doing it they come from engineering backgrounds and they just love the technology. And here's what a good CB radio shop can do for you. If you buy a new radio, you can get it fine tuned. Why do you want to do that? Because the factories will set the radios to a general setting that'll work across the board. But those radios can perform in certain respects well above that. Yeah. So a CB radio shop can sit there and go through your take it take take the radio right new out of the box and they'll open it up and they fine tune it. There's going to be all kinds of ways that they can go in several different ways they can fine tune that and really get that radio humming to the top of its capability. So I don't care if it's new or used, you want to do that. Now with you know, the bargain radios that you're finding uh, out there at Swap Meets or, you know, eBay or anywhere, yeah. some eBay, wherever. Uh -huh. uh, one of the things you have to remember about old CBs is there are components that deteriorate with age and have to be replaced. It's not major, but they have to be replaced. And so if you get a really good deal on an old CB, like you find a single sideband CB that was made by Radio Shack, all right, hey, it's worth fixing it. If you buy it for five or 10 bucks and you put another 60 or 70 into it to have it repaired and fine-tuned, hey, that is a good deal. But also what you want is antenna tuning. So you want to buy it as a package. This is where, again, you want that maximum performance. And so that's the reason why with a CB radio shop, you got to sit down and you tell the guy this is what you want to do. If you're a truck driver, he's going to say, look, get a CB. You don't need single side band because who's going to fiddle with the knobs while you're going down the road? But for everybody else, and there are a lot of truckers that still buy single side band because they like to play with it when they are parked. But. The antenna tuning. Remember, we talked about the two antennas that truckers put on their rearview mirrors. Right. All right. This is an antenna system. So when you start doing antenna tuning and you're tuning it to work with your radio, so the both of them are being integrated as a package, now you have maximum performance, maximum range. And it's really, really worth it. And if the guy charges you a hundred bucks or whatever to do the work, spend the money. It's worth it. It's worth it by twice the price. Yeah, it might save your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a good thing to you know, invest. Yeah. That and a um probably a power generator of sorts and a and the radio that the, the two most essential things. Well, here's an interesting thing about QRP radios. 
QRP are CB radios. They're called, hands call them QRP, which is a designation for low power. All right. And low power is 12 watts or less. So it's a QRP. Now, if you have a ham radio, it's going to be 25, 50, 100 watts, something like that. For example, if you can remember, you know, yellow caps, you know, when we used to get in taxis, now everything's smartphones. Right. But remember when they had the radios? They did, yeah. You know, taxi cabs had those old Motorola radios. <laughs> I mean, they I are remember. built like a brick. Oh, yeah. The only way to kill those things is to with a 45 at point blank range. And that was a 25 watt radio. And they could talk all around town on that with just 25 watts. Now, what else can you do with 25 watts? 25 watts is enough power to bounce signals off of satellites in low Earth orbit that are designed to work with citizen, with, with ham radios. They're not designed to work with CBs, but they are designed to work with ham radios. And if you're doing 100 watts, you could actually bounce your signals off the moon and cover a third of the Earth. Hams can do some amazing things, all right? And uh, But, again, here are the differences. You're in a CB. It's a few hundred dollars. You learn everything very quickly. If you're a ham, it's thousands of dollars, and it's going to take you some serious time to learn all that stuff. But you want to learn it because if you can operate ham radios, that gives you a whole new world of functionality. You can send digital files, you can send video files, you can set up relays, messages are automatically moved from one computer to the next. You can have what's called TTY communication, you interface your ham radio with your laptop, and I could be sitting here and typing a message on my keyboard and it's coming up on your screen and you do the same. No difference than texting. So ham radios give you a world of opportunities. Remember, single sidebands are bare bones, but that's their beauty. Also, the power is essential. A 12-watt single sideband CB runs on 12 volts. Well, so do the ham radios. They work on 12 volts. But in your car, the difference is a CB, because it's not pulling that much power, you can plug it in to any cigarette lighter plug in the vehicle, and it'll work just fine. You take a ham radio that's a 50-watt radio and do that, uh-uh, <laughs> something's going to burn, all right? You're going to pull way too much power, and something's going to pop. That's the reason why, if you're installing a ham radio in a car that is going to have this much higher power, you have to actually connect it directly to the battery, you have to have wires that are going straight to the battery. And a lot of hams actually will set up a second battery just to power their radios. So from doing power standpoint, that's one of the reasons why CBs are so portable, so wonderful, because they're QRP, they're low power, anywhere you can put 12 volts. So you take a CB radio, and here's something. If you're monitoring, you're just taking a very little amount of power. It's when you press the key to transmit, that's when it starts. That's when the load comes, and that's where it starts to pull it. But you could take a CB radio and run it all day long 
off, uh, you know, take a 12 volt battery out of your, uh, your lawnmower, your riding lawnmower. All right. That'll work fine. You can charge that up. Take and recharge that with a solar cell. So you have all kinds of, because the power demand is so small with single sideband CB, it gives you a lot of flexibility that hams don't have with their much more uh, substantial equipment. So and in addition to it just being easy enough for you to figure out real fast and without breaking the bank. But you still want to go and get, if you have a community, you still want to have those ham radios. Because you want to be able to communicate effectively with other people. And that is what my book, The Complete Beginner's Guide to Survival Communications, Radio Free Earth, that's what it's all about. You read this book, it's soup to nuts, alpha to omega. Everything you need to know about ham radios, CBs, uh, anything, any kind of two-way radio you can buy today, I talk about in this, because even if you don't buy it, you don't buy these expensive ham radios, you need to understand what they are and what they can do, because you're going to be scrounging, and you're going to find these things that haven't been toasted because they weren't connected to a power source when the EMP hit, but you could look at it, and you could see a radio and go, oh my gosh, that's look at that, it's a police radio, that's got to be exactly what we want, stupid. Stupid, stupid, because police radios are digital now, and it is a tower of Babel out there. When I was training with FEMA, I trained to uh, to work in large fires where you bring in multi-jurisdictional, a lot of people coming in. They all have different radios, different radio frequencies, and getting them coordinated was a nightmare. Oh, I bet. Because digital yeah. radios... The government set a standard, an open source standard, if you will, for everybody. But what do all the radio manufacturers do? They add all these proprietary add-ons, and it's their proprietary add-ons that create a system that just simply won't work. And literally, you know, it, <laughs> the easiest way to do it was... Instead of trying to get coordinate all these different radios with all these different, you know, you maybe have four or five different fire departments and three or four police departments and so forth. The easiest way to coordinate all those people and their radios was not to use their radios. They would just go out and buy a huge bucket. They'd load up a bucket with a hundred of these little cheap Chinese handheld radios, pre-program the whole thing and just pass them out. And that was the easiest way to solve the problem. That'll work too, yeah. All right, so you don't want those radios. They're a waste of time. You want radios you can use. You want old analog radios. You want to go old school. Now, when you finish reading Radio Free Earth, the complete beginner's guide to survival communications, you're going to know how, what, why, where, for every kind of two-way radio you can buy today. And when I say buy, I'm not talking about you got to go out. You don't have to have a license to buy any radio. You just walk into a radio store, put cash on the counter, and when the guy says, who do I make it out to, say, Santa Claus North Pole, and he says, fine, Santa, here you go. All right, here's your radio. 
So this whole thing, the government's going to come and confiscate everything. Yeah, if you buy it on your MasterCard or through Amazon or something like that, you can bet your sweet bippies they can track you down if they get desperate enough to do that. But otherwise, every two-way radio I talk about in Radio Free Earth, you can buy and pay cash. No, you don't need a license to buy it, and you don't need a license to listen with any radio, whether it is a CB or a ham radio. The only time you have to have a radio license is when you start transmitting on a ham radio. Then you have to have a license. Then you have a call sign, like mine is KG7ZHD, all right? And you got to be able to identify yourself. Yeah, but you're, yeah, you're legally required to ID yourself. That's right. However, once things go sideways and all of this is collapsing. Yeah, it's not going to really matter. It's not going to matter. Yeah, not at all. But if you have it, what does it give you the power? First off, you're able to communicate with people a long distance. You can get reliable communications. You can transmit and sh- This is the important part. You can send blueprints, a how-to video on how to do it. Yeah, it's not as fast as a smartphone, nowhere near. But you can get it out there. You can share that information, and you can find other people fairly easy. And this is going to be part of, to me, two-way radios. Radio Free Earth is not only for survival, but it's to optimize the benefits of what I see in a post-catastrophe situation of a technological renaissance. We don't go into a technological black ages. We're going to go into a technological renaissance. Pretty much, yeah. Now, if you say, Marshall, that sounds a little strange, okay? I'd say, well, okay, it sounds a little strange. But consider this. We know about the cars that'll run on water instead of gasoline, right? And we've seen the old videos of them driving around and proving that it works. We see people that find cures, simple cures, for really terrible diseases. We find people that discover ways to make energy that are simple and reliable. So why is it These have all been pushed aside. Is it because it's all a bunch of uh, nonsense by idiots who've gone off and invented something ridiculous and think they're all important? No. You invent something that is disruptive technology, and I can guarantee you, you've got all these special interests, and they're sitting right there at the front of the patent office, and they're looking at everything that comes through the door. And the minute they see you're putting your thumb in their rice bowl, they're going to call the FBI. And the FBI is going to say, yes, sir, we'll send out our goons with the machine guns and the dogs, scare the shit out of the wife and the kids. We're going to take everything, destroy their lives, and we will keep destroying their lives so that they'll never bother you again. Sir, yes, sir, we're the FBI, and we're here to suppress innovation. And guess what? We don't see these things. So what happens when all of a sudden there are no more goons with dogs and submachine guns because the FBI gets a call from a special interest? These people are going to say, wow, we found a way to generate free energy. We have a cure for cancer. 
We have a way to cure vision problems. We found a way to better way to make some this. We found a better way to do that. We found this is going to help you. And it's all going to be ham radios. That's where it's going to pump. Because ham radios can carry that traffic. They can do it. You know, if you're going to, I mean, think about it. Now, a CB is like a pickup truck. And a ham radio is like an 18-wheeler. Now, which one's going to carry more? They're going to both go as fast. They're going to both go the same distance. Which one can haul the freight? The 18-wheeler. That's a ham radio. But you got to know what you're doing. Just like you got to know what you're doing when you drive an 18-wheeler. So this is, for me, these radios are the – this is how we are going to create – a clean slate for a new beginning with all kinds of technological innovation because we no longer have special interests and government goons crushing it. And amazing things will happen. Amazing things. You know, we can't give up hope for the future. You just don't do it. Because the minute you give up hope, they got you. They got you, indeed. And, uh, Marshall, we are coming to a close here. It's been a good two hours here with us. And, of course, I know your time is vital. And, yes, Marshall, you went over some very vital information here that I think the world needs to hear. That's right. And I've provided you with this uh, ebook, Communication Blackout ebook, And it has all of the slides that everything we've been talking about so for those of you who want to listen to this interview, if you download that ebook, it's going to follow what's in this slides. And then you're, you can also print them out and you can keep it. And the reason why I'm doing these ebooks is it is a way to circumvent the suppression because I'm not on a platform where I can be censored. Send it to your friends. Right on. And of course, Marshall, you have seen plenty of censorship going on with your own channel on YouTube and your website. You've had all these people trying to take you down. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, hey, like they used to say in World War II, if you're not taking flack, you're not over the target. <laughs> That's true. You definitely are. I'm resonating with all all kinds of people, from people that want to help, help and support you to people that want to take you down. So you are doing the right thing, Mr. Masters. And again, it's an honor and pleasure to have you here on the program, and we'll do it again soon. Absolutely. Absolutely.